Our reading this morning is from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. For those of you who want to silently judge my pronunciation, it's on page 213 of your (laughs) few Bibles. Let's read together. There was a certain man of Ramathane, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his town to worship and to sacrifice the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hopni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival used to provoke her severely to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went year by year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose and presented herself to the Lord. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost at the temple of the Lord, and she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made this vow, O Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me, And not forget your servant, but will give your servant a male child, then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Put away your wine. But Hannah answered, No, my lord. I am a woman deeply troubled. I have drunk neither wine nor strong strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation all this time. Then Eli answered, Go in peace. The God of Israel, grant the petition you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your sight. Then the woman went to her quarters, ate, and drank with her husband, and her countenance was sad no longer. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. When they went back to their house at Ramah, Elkanah knew his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She named him Samuel. For she said, I have asked him of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Loving God, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, sometimes in life, it feels like the world has dealt you a really tough blow. 
Sometimes it feels like the world has dealt you a whole series of tough blows and you feel beaten down, exhausted at the end of your rope. You wonder if this is simply more than you can endure, so you cry out to God in desperation. And maybe your cry is a query. Maybe it's a question, why, God? Why did this happen? You're sovereign. You rule over all things. Not even a sparrow falls from the sky apart from your will. Why did you allow this to take place, this loss I have suffered? Or maybe your cry is a plea to God that says, God, please intervene. You have the power to change things. Fix this. Make the circumstances different. Lift me, lift us up out of the pit. That's the kind of prayer we hear Hannah offering in today's passage from 1 Samuel. Sure, there are things for which Hannah could be thankful. She has a husband, Elkanah, who from all that we can tell in today's text, loves her. She has God. She has community. She has life and she has health. She has food. She has a great deal, but there is something she desperately wants and does not have, and that is a child. She doesn't have, in particular, a son. As the text describes it, she is barren, unable to, her body unable to provide that for which she longs, a child of her own, and enduring infertility feels to Hannah like a burden too great to bear. Hannah's husband, Elkanah, we read, has a second wife named Penina who is able to bear children, and Penina mocks Hannah, adding insult to injury. Elkanah, on the other hand, gives Hannah a double portion of the worship feast. He reaches out to her in love and care. He invites her out of this sadness that she is in, saying, come, will you, and, no, and eat again. But Hannah will not be persuaded to eat or to get out of this sadness she feels she is in. Some commentators have noted that based on what the text says, the circumstances, the illness that has hit Hannah, we might call today depression or anxiety or some mix of the two. And then we read, Hannah finally has a breakdown. It happens in the temple, maybe because that's a place that so evokes the presence of God, perhaps where she's had experiences of intimacy with God in the past, and there in the temple feeling the weight of her gloss of that unanswered prayer ends up weeping bitterly. A prayer wells up in her heart. It doesn't move from her lips, but her lips move even as it speaks out of her heart. She says to God, God, please, I'll do anything. If you will just give me a child, I'll, I'll even dedicate this child to you. I'll make him a Nazarite. That is, he will be one who abstains from alcohol and abstains from having a razor touch his head as a sign of his dedication to to you, I'll do anything, but please grant this prayer of mine. Well, Eli the priest sees this. He sees her lips move, but no words coming out of her mouth, and he accuses her then of drunkenness. That's adding insult to injury. But Hannah replies to Eli the priest, no, I am not drunk. I'm simply a desperate woman, 
at the end of her rope, crying out to God. The Scriptures have so many stories like this of the pain, grief, and insult we human beings sometimes endure in this life. And faith, we know time and again in the Bible, is not some magical antidote to the suffering. Hannah, from what we can tell in today's passage, had faith, believed in God, and yet she was stricken with this condition of barrenness. There is something about the human condition as we read about it in Scripture that means suffering, disappointment, and loss often comes unbidden our way, whether we have faith or not. And many today, it seems to me, are feeling like Hannah just at the end of their rope. The Reverend Monica Thompson serves today at the staff, as the staff chaplain at the University of Alabama at Birmingham Hospital, where ICU beds are completely full in her state due to the COVID-19 surge and the great number of people in that state who remain unvaccinated. Thompson was asked what it's like in the hospital right now to serve as staff chaplain, how the doctors, nurses, how the personnel who work there are doing. And she said to an NPR interviewer, they are sad. They're exhausted. They're frustrated too. They're sad because they're seeing so many people suffering from COVID-19. They're angry because ICU beds are full and because they aren't able to care for patients as they otherwise would want to. They're angry because the situation seems so avoidable. So many who are coming to the University of Alabama at Birmingham Hospital are unvaccinated. It seems like an avoidable crisis. Chaplain Thompson was also saying that people will often speak in rage to the staff, arguing that COVID-19 doesn't exist, and they have to deal with that too, and they're tired because this has been going on and on. As Thompson describes it, I imagine the hospital staff, the patient's chaplains, like her, just feeling like Hannah at the end of their rope, looking for God when they feel their own energy and resources are depleted. This past week, many of our hearts have been drawn to the nation of Haiti and the desperate situation so many face in that country after not only the assassination of their president, but a week ago last Saturday, the 7.2 earthquake that hit that country. In the New York Times, you can read that one of the greatest gut punches that's hit that country as a result of the earthquake has been the damage it's done to churches. Churches in Haiti today and historically have been a mainstay. They've been a place not only where people would go to gather for worship, but they'd be a place of education, of communal gathering where food and other forms of aid are provided in a country where you can't count on government resources coming. Churches have provided that and this great source of support and the loss of those churches when so many have been damaged by the earthquake has been, as the Times put it, a gut punch. So many feel that loss. The Reverend Joel Jacqueline serves in ministry at Lakaye, Haiti, where just about every church building in that region was either damaged or destroyed. He was interviewed Sunday as he stood atop the rubble of his former church. 
He had been having breakfast when the earthquake hit. He was able to run out, and one of the other priests he was eating with was able to get out too, but another priest who was dining with them was not able to make it out, nor were two women who were also serving in that church. When he was asked about how the damage to these churches will affect the population, this pastor explained how people rely so heavily on the churches because they can't count on government assistance. And then you probably read last Tuesday, a storm hit. So, so many who were having to live outside then had floods and mudslides and rain to contend with as well. You can understand why Reverend Jacqueline and the community of Lekaye might cry out to God in desperation, feeling like Hannah, ready to say, God, we will do just about anything if you would just fix this, if you would intervene and save. Then in Afghanistan, we read of fear seizing so many in that nation where a U.S. invasion and subsequent occupation failed to deliver on the promise that such military efforts would somehow bring long-term peace and stability and self-rule to the people. With the Taliban now taking control, there is great concern now for women especially. And there's also concern for the estimated 1,000 to 8,000 people in that country who are secretly practicing the Christian faith. It's illegal to do so and especially dangerous to do so now. And one can imagine the people of Afghanistan, like those in Haiti, crying out to God, asking why or pleading for God to intervene. They might feel like what they, their neighborhoods, the world faces is just too much to bear. That's the kind of prayer it seems to me that Hannah is offering today, that ancient and modern cry of vulnerable human beings to God, asking, God, please fix this. I am at my wit's end. I am at the end of my rope. I need a strength beyond me. I need salvation. Please come and save. I am, Hannah declares, deeply troubled. I speak out of great anxiety and vexation. So, in Hannah's case, when we read about her story today, does her condition break her? One could understand if it might. One can understand why the violence or struggles of the world, why hospital workers would be broken by the pressures of that, why people in Haiti or Afghanistan would feel broken or beaten down and ready to give up from the challenges they face. But you notice Hannah, even with what she faces, like so many vulnerable people of faith around the world in Haiti, Afghanistan, and in hospitals today will do, rather than being broken, Hannah is broken open. If you heard that distinction before, the distinction between being broken and broken open. Surely you know of people who are hit with tragedy or hardship or suffering and they are just broken by it. They become bitter or angry. They lash out at the world and that becomes their posture so wrapped up in anger they become. I can think of certain political figures who fit that description, wrapped up in anger. 
There are others who are just beaten down by it, where they can no longer feel like they can engage with other people, where they isolate themselves essentially in one form or another, just give up, and one can understand why you would be broken when there's so much heaviness and struggle and suffering. But other people, when they are hit with a great loss or suffering, they are not broken. They are broken open. They don't close themselves off or lash out, but they reach out to God and others in their vulnerability. And yes, in doing so, they're taking a risk. They are taking a risk of yet further hurt by reaching out, by exposing that vulnerable state that they are in. But in reaching out, they sometimes find that there is a hand that reaches out to them the hand of God, the hand of community, that in that vulnerable state, broken open, their hearts are met by the love of God. Hannah pours out her soul to God in prayer, and then when the priest Eli accuses her of drunkenness, she pours out her soul to him as well. She says, I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Don't regard your servant as a worthless woman. I've been speaking out of my anxiety and vexation. And hearing that prayer, hearing her bearing her soul as she does, Eli turns. There's a shift right here in the text, and rather than accuse, he encourages, he affirms. The priest does what priests in the Hebrew tradition were called to do. He reminds her of the promises of God. He speaks of a God who the Psalms declare lifts up the downtrodden, accompanies us even through the valley of the shadow of death, who is near to the brokenhearted, who offers help to the afflicted, who liberates the oppressed. Eli offers that word to Hannah, that great word of the promises of God. And as Christians, we believe that great affirmation, that word of God came near to us in Jesus Christ, that the hand that reaches out to us in our places of vulnerability and need, in the world's places of vulnerability and need, would have human form that there would be a human hand that could touch us when we needed, a human voice that could speak words of encouragement, challenge, and love, that could invite us into a community where with others we sense and know the presence of God even in trying times, especially, especially in trying times. Hannah's met by that loving God. Moments of crisis they can open us up. When Hannah experiences that moment of crisis in the temple, rather than flee from it, she seems to delve deep into her soul, and that's what can happen for us when we face these times where we feel at the end of our rope. The German theologian Paul Tillich would speak of how often we go through life, going through the routines, and fail to ask the deeper questions like, what's the meaning of my life? What is beneath it all? What holds me up when I am in spaces of great need. And then some disruption will happen, an earthquake will occur, a great loss will happen, and it throws us out of those routines. And if we dare, he notes, we can go deeper. We can go down and 
look at what is the ground of our very being, what lies beneath it all. And Tillich argued, if we dare to do that, what we will find is the very ground of our being, the one Jesus called Abba Father, the one we proclaim Lord and God, that very one who lifts us up out of spaces of despair and walks us by the hand to the promise of a new day. In her prayer, Hannah goes down to the depths, dares to bear her soul, and God, we read, answers her prayer. He blesses her with a child. Now, if God had simply provided God's presence, walked with her in her time of great need, that alone would be a grace. That alone would be a blessing. But we read God does even more. God meets her. God speaks God's word of comfort to her through the priest Eli and God answers her prayer. Maybe not in the time she had wanted. Maybe not in exactly the way she expected. But God answers her prayer and brings her and the people of God with her to the light of a new day. So, friends, what do you do? when life hits you with such a hard blow, maybe a series of hard blows? What do you do when you're exhausted? Maybe you're exhausted by caring for people. Maybe you're exhausted by the pain of the world, or maybe you have suffered a great loss or someone you know has. What do you do? Certainly, there is the temptation to be broken by it, but I encourage you by the power of God, resist that temptation and dare be broken open. Dare be broken open. And you may just find, as you never have before, the very ground of your being waiting to hold you or a hand reaching down to lift you up. That hand may even form and fashion you into being a vessel of God's love for others, empower you, inspire you to be a vessel of good news to the world. Reverend Monica Thompson, who is working right now as a chaplain in the University of Alabama at Birmingham, shared what she does when she feels the struggle she faced in the hospital just too much to bear. When she was interviewed and asked what she does, she said, of course, I lean on my faith. I pray. And there in prayer she finds time and again she is met by the God who walks with her and empowers her through love to then reach out to the staff, patients, and others who are a part of the hospital. If they are interested and if it's appropriate, she even shares with them the power of prayer that they might utilize that in their need to know a God who walks with them, but in other cases when it's more appropriate, she just is with them as a loving human presence, reminiscent of that great presence that came to be with us in Christ. When Reverend Jacqueline was asked, standing on the ruins of his former church building in Lakaya, Haiti, how he and his people could endure amidst so much loss, how they could possibly keep going, this is what he said. Our church is destroyed, and many churches in and around Lakaya are destroyed. But we have faith. We have faith. And we know that as long as people are still here with God, we can build back our community. 
And right now, this hour, people like Reverend Jacqueline and Christian Relief Organizations are playing a huge role in mobilizing support for quake victims, providing clean water, sanitation, shelter, and emergency supplies, which is so hard to do. There are so many obstacles to getting that to the people that need it, but those efforts are afoot by people of faith who care. Souls broken open before God are so often met by God and transformed, where they become vessels of God's grace and love to a hurting world. So, friends, the grief you may be feeling today, the exhaustion, the sadness, the suffering you or your family may have known or that you may see around you in the world, it may seem like a great deal to bear. If that's the case, remember Hannah, remember the woman who went before God in prayer in the temple crying out for release from the barrenness that plagued her, and remember the God who met her there with good news that a priest spoke that walked with her and in time answered her prayer. That's the God we know and worship in Jesus Christ, the Savior who once said to a little girl who had passed away from illness as her family grieved, Tabitha Kum, that is, little girl, arise, arise. The God we know in Christ not only meets us in our sadness and need, God sends us out in love, and may we be people so sent. Please pray with me if you would. God, we give you thanks this day especially for your love shown to us in Christ. We thank you for meeting us in our pain, for coming to meet this whole world in its suffering and to walk with us as a force of healing, of care, of justice, and of love. May we be your people in precisely this time. We praise you that today and even in the toughest of time, there is reason to rejoice and there is reason to give you thanks. And so we do now. We give you thanks for your love poured out for us, for your presence, and for the hope and promise we have in Christ. Amen.